Hey everyone, I am Reva and just want to take a moment and thank you for listening to our studio podcast. Although we are here in Greenville, South Carolina, we are grateful for your support to see the message of Jesus go out all over the world. In case you are not aware, we have a YouTube channel, which you can find the link in our podcast bio. We hope you enjoy this week's talk and it encourages you and it helps you to be the human God designed you to be. So with that, let's get right to it. Over 2,500 years ago, there lived a man who, as a teenager, was captured and involuntarily trained in a culture that violated his own faith and his beliefs. He was eventually assigned to be the leader of magicians and sorcerers. He became a governor, a minister in a government that was designed around a polytheistic culture, which means it's a culture that worships a pantheon of gods and goddesses. He was also an advisor to foreign kings, but all the while he was a follower of God and worshiped one God. His name was Belshazzar. Some of you know him as Daniel. Today, we're going to start a series of talks over, I don't know how many Sundays we're going to dedicate to this. It, it won't be sequential, partly because we have a birthday and two, two weeks Sundays from now. But over the next period of time, I want to dedicate Sunday specifically to talk about this man named Daniel. I, I have spent a lot of my preaching, studying, and praying around this man named Daniel. And, and I haven't talked about him in years, but I've been studying and talking and extracting as much as I can out of his life for the last 20 years, to be honest with you. So this is a familiar topic, but at the same time, it feels like it's important for where we are, who we are, and where we're going. And so I'm going to dedicate today, obviously, and then there'll be some more Sundays. I'm really bad at saying we're going to do this for three weeks or five weeks or 10 weeks. I just know when we're done talking about it, that is how many weeks we go. And so just bear with me. It will be at least two. I guarantee that. Maybe three, maybe 20. I don't know. But we're going to approach the life of Daniel from a different perspective. We're we're going to do it from a slightly different perspective than maybe what you're used to me doing. For those of you that are part of studio or you've heard me communicate, I'm going to approach it much more from a study standpoint. And it's going to require you to engage with me differently than maybe you're used to. And the way that you can engage with me is you can not just mentally make notes or just mentally pay attention, but you could actively putting down notes and thought while, while I'm communicating to you. Uh, it's a one-way conversation, but you can make it a two-way thought conversation by engaging with me. So I want to encourage you to engage with me. I, it, it's such a, a large topic. This man was unique in the context of great Bible characters. And I, I have to get a lay of the land. And so I want to get a study going with you starting today and essentially to help you get a lay of the land so you can understand the background, the context, and, and the material that we're going to read today and in the subsequent weeks. And you can understand the dynamics that were at play and the backdrop of the life of Daniel. And all that do is to seek insights it's to seek why is this important and, and how is it relevant to us today. And we're going, to be, we're going to be, my goal, I have several goals, but there are three things that I want to expand, three fronts that I want to expand in. If you want to write these down, I'd encourage you. The first one is this, God's view of humanity. 
my heart is that through this study, not just today, but the following weeks, is that your view of how God views humanity is expanded. The second thing that I want to extract and expand you on is that how deeply God cares for humanity and how we can be a part of that same mission. So the first one is God's view of humanity, and the second one is that we learn how God cared deeply about humanity and how you and I, on a daily basis, as the devotion as we follow him, can be a part of his mission of how much he loves humanity. Then the third area is why the conversation of Christians being engaged in culture is important and vital. So the third front that I want to expand in your own life is that you would understand why it's vital and important that we as followers of Jesus are engaged in culture. I don't want to be a church or a community of people that complain about culture. I don't want us to be known for what we are against. And the challenge is Christianity had been reduced down to you are known for what you're against, but no one knows what you're for. I, I do not want to be a person that is known for my rhetoric and complaining about the state of humanity and the issues today. It, it doesn't take much effort to acknowledge the evil, the darkness, the brokenness that is around us every day. So just repeating that does nothing than state the obvious. I want to raise up a company of people. I want studio to be an incubator of people that understand the culture and the day and age that we live in, and we look at it as an opportunity, not a grounds for judgment and complaint. Two of you, okay, that's enough. I, all, it took Daniel. Daniel was one guy, so I guess we only need one. So naturally, I would jump right into scriptures, but because we're dealing with such an ancient story, with an ancient culture, and ancient languages, it, it, I have to take some time to lay the groundwork and a foundation. And one of the challenges that you and I have in a modern context, in a modern society, is when we read the Bible, there's... Sometimes we unintentionally water it down because when we don't understand the background, the culture, the language, when we don't do our homework in this, we just superimpose our life, our experiences, and our worldviews on these stories in the scriptures. So we unintentionally water them down. We make them friendlier. We make them easier and essentially end up at children's stories. And I understand for children, that's a beautiful thing, but I'm talking to a room of people that don't want to just stay like a child. They actually want to mature in their faith. So we have to do some homework. So I'm going to approach this talk in the next few weeks differently and approach it more from a study standpoint than just trying to inspire you or get you to think more than just what we're thinking right now. And so what we're going to do is lay some foundation. So the book of Daniel is a collection of stories about a man named Daniel. The whole book is about him, essentially. It's, it's the most popular stories that made it to writing. He was a loyal Jew. And, and it was also a record of his visions that he had about kingdoms and future events. 
The book, the first six chapters is primarily around him. The seventh chapter to the end of the book is around vision of how he saw the future and the future kingdom and future events. For those of you that want to study even more, the book of Daniel is considered a companion book to the book of Revelation. So if you study Revelation, then you must also study Daniel. And if you really love studying the second half of the book of Daniel, then study Revelation because these are called companion books. Because what Daniel saw in visions and the future and the kingdom, future events, is also some of it is correlation or interact with the book and the writing than the book of Revelation. It took, uh, Daniel's life took place during Babylonian exile in the 6th century B.C., roughly 2,500 years ago. Daniel was most likely from an upper-class family in the capital city of Jerusalem, which at the time was the capital city to the nation of Judah. He was deported from Jerusalem to Babylon as a teenager. And we're going to talk a little bit more about the deportation part of that. But he, they, a lot of scholars believe he was roughly around 13 years old, that he was captured by Babylonian empire and was deported into Babylon. <clears throat> he lived there for roughly 60 years. Another important bit of information is in regards to when King Nebuchadnezzar, which we're going to look into this in a moment here, when the Babylonian empire took over Jerusalem and the nation of Judah, they not only took them over, but they took artifacts and elements of that were belonged in their houses of worship, which was Solomon's temple. They took them and they put them in their temples in Babylon. Now remember, this is the polytheistic culture, which means a pantheon of gods and goddesses. They worship all kinds of gods and goddesses. So imagine the valuable things that were artifacts that represented your faith in one God is now mixed in with acts and artifacts of worship that worshiped many gods and goddesses. This is called the opposite of a value system, of a faith system that you were raised in, and Daniel is now immersed into this culture. So essentially, a people, a history, and a culture is now in the hand of a pagan king and a pagan culture. This is the context of the book of Daniel. There are three main sections to the book of Daniel. I encourage you to write these down. The first section is the introduction to Daniel. We meet this character, this man named Daniel, in the first part of the book. The second one is Daniel's journey in his character development, also his development and prophetic interpretation skills. So we meet Daniel in the first section, and then we start experiencing his development as a character, as a man, as well, and imagine a character development in a pagan culture. Your character definitely gets tested in that context. But it's also we get to see the development of his prophetic interpretation skills, which is pretty fun to read when you get into the middle and to the end of the book of Daniel. The last section, which is from chapter 7 to the end of the book, it's actually a series of visions about future kingdom and future events. So those are three sections that the book of Daniel can be generalized into those three sections. <clears throat> we will actually look mostly at the first six chapters, not today, but over the next however many weeks we decide to go. Now, I had mentioned earlier that 
We're talking about a Babylonian empire. And there's a word that's going to come up called the language of the Chaldeans. The Chaldeans is actually a people group. And because it's so prevalent in the book of Daniel, I don't want to just go read the scripture. I need to lay some groundwork as well for Chaldeans, for what we would call the Babylonian people. The Persians considered the Chaldeans a societal class to be masters of reading and writing especially versed in all forms of incantation, sorcery, witchcraft, and the magical arts. They spoke of astrologists and astronomers as Chaldeans, and it is used with the specific meaning in the book of Daniel. The dominant religious tradition in Chaldea was the Mesopotamian pantheon, which I mentioned that earlier, a pantheon of God with multiple gods and goddesses. Major gods in this pantheon include Marduk, the father of all gods, and Nebo, the god of writing and the fates of men. Before the creation of the Chaldean Empire, Marduk was simply a local god important only to the city of Babylon. What's fascinating is one of their gods was the god of writing. And if you haven't read any literature or poetry from the Chaldeans, it's actually really beautiful. I'm just going to read a little section to you that I I thought was actually quite beautiful. This is ancient poetry. Furious in the night, claiming in the daylight, whose anger engulfs like a tempest, whose breeze is sweet as the breath of morn. In his fury not to be withstood, his rage the deluge. Merciful in his feeling, his emotions relenting. The skies cannot sustain the weight of his hand. So as we can tell, the culture of Chaldean was built around worshiping a god that was a god of writing. And you can see in their literature, beautiful language. At the height, sorry, Chaldeans are an Aramaic-speaking people that were indigenous to Iraq. So modern-day Iraq is primarily where the Chaldean and the Babylonian Empire was from. They have a history that spanned over 5,500 years, dating back to Mesopotamia. If you're unfamiliar with Mesopotamia, it's considered the cradle of civilization. This area encompasses present-day Iraq. At the height of the Babylonian Empire, the Chaldeans were an influential and highly educated group of people. Some historians believe that after Persia conquered Babylon, the term Chaldean was used more often to refer to a social class of highly educated people than to an actual race of men. Here's some interesting fact. At the time of Daniel, Babylon was the intellectual center of Western Asia, and the Chaldeans were renowned for their study and knowledge of astrology and astronomy. They kept detailed astronomical records for over 360 years, which can help us understand how the wise men from the East would have been able to recognize and follow the star that would lead them to the birth of Jesus. Chaldeans and their predecessors, the Babylonians, made major contributions in writing, in science, in technology, in mathematics, and astrology. They divide the time system we use today of the 60-second minute. They also divide the 60-minute hours. They also describe the circle as having 360 degrees. 
Their understanding of astronomy and the ability to predict movement of heavenly bodies sparked what some have called the first scientific revolution. Across the ancient world, Greeks and Romans used the term Chaldeans, and they were referring to the astronomers of Mesopotamia. We understand that Chaldeans were highly intelligent, highly influential, and incredibly spiritual people. They excelled in so many areas. This was not some backwoods people just getting along in life, but rather they pushed the limits of human understanding, thought, philosophy, spirituality, and the understanding of astronomy and astrology. This is the setting in which Daniel is immersed into. And sometimes we water down the story of Daniel of just he was serving a wicked king. I want to unpack when we say wicked, evil king, we need to understand we have a culture that is so steeped in a dark spirituality. And Daniel is involuntarily immersed into that. Now, if you have your Bibles or your app, I want you to turn with me to Daniel chapter one. My goal today is to get through Daniel chapter one. It's hard to get past the first four or five verses, but I'm going to do my best to get all the way to the end. And we're going to extract a few key things out of here. And again, our goal today is to actually understand what we are reading, have a greater grasp and understanding of the background, the culture, and the context. And then at some point, we'll begin to extract how it's relevant to us. Sometimes when we read scripture, we only read it with the motive of what is relevant to me. How does it apply to me and what is in it for me? Sometimes, most of the time, you should at least start out with reading the Bible with the opposite approach. You see, when you read the Bible just focused on you, you miss out on so much of what God wants to communicate. The first step in studying scripture to ask you what is the Bible actually saying? Take you out of the equation. And when you begin to understand that context, then you can actually more accurately and more applicably take principles and aspects of these stories and apply them to your own life. So today, I want to make sure we do a justice on actually laying the groundwork. Are you guys still with me? Thank you. All right. Daniel chapter 1, verse 1. In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. Let's pause right there. The word besieged, I just gave you roughly the last five to 10 minutes to give you context of what it meant to be besieged. An entire culture taking over another culture. And as you study human history, you'll learn that when a king takes over another culture, they often will try to erase everything about that culture. They will do that because they want them to not ever be remembered and they want to reculturize and indoctrinate the people they just besieged. The whole goal is to create, expand your culture, your way of living, your customs, your worship, how you look at everything, you indoctrinate the people that you just took over. So this is what we're dealing with here. We're not dealing with just some good and evil battle. We're dealing with an an intentional indoctrination. In fact, I'm so fascinated at some point when we spend eternity with God, I want to learn about human civilization that no one ever knew existed because they've been erased from the face of the earth and there's no record of them. 
But this is what kings do when they take over other countries, other people, and cultures. Verse 2. And the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand with some of the articles of the house of God, which he carried into the land of Shinar, to the house of his God, and he brought articles into the treasures house of his God. So we're going to stop right here. I want to extract a few things out of here just again to lay the groundwork. Jerusalem was the capital city of Judah. So when Nebuchadnezzar came into Jerusalem, besieged it. But look at verse 2. And the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand. Isn't that interesting? It's not that Nebuchadnezzar just took it without anything. The Lord said, okay, you can have it. This is complicated. It's complicated because it kind of messes with it. Why would God give his own people to an evil, wicked culture? You see, what happened, if you read in Jeremiah, Jeremiah actually speaks to this. And he said they were, the people of God were given to sin and they were given to idolatry. You see, a lot of times when we blame God for something, it's actually the repercussions of sin. Now, we live on this side of the cross. So we have a pathway, a much quicker pathway than they did in ancient times. But I want you to understand something, that your choice to live a lifestyle of sin and a lifestyle of worship to other things, other things beside God, will have repercussions without repentance. I just want to just state that because sin had been so watered down that everything's gray. Nothing, nothing's wrong, nothing's sin, nothing's good, everything is gray. And I want to challenge you. We follow a God that's made it very clear. If you give yourself the sin, you have just submitted yourself to forces that I can't protect you in. Unless you repent. And that's the beauty of the cross. That's the beauty of the death of Jesus and the resurrection of Jesus. That we can come to him with our confession and our sin and God brings protection. But I want you to just notice that this was actually because of sin. God said, okay, Nebuchadnezzar, you can have my people. I don't know about you, but that's sobering. That just has some weight to it. And I'm really grateful we're on this side of the cross. I'm really grateful on the other side of the blood of Jesus and we're protected by the blood of Jesus. <clears throat> so the question, sorry, <clears throat> let's go to verse three. Then the king instructed Ashpenaz, the master of his eunuch, to bring some of the children of Israel and some of the king's descendants and some of the nobles, young men in whom there was no blemish, but good looking, gifted in all wisdom, possessing knowledge and quick to understand, who had the ability to serve in the king's palace and whom they might teach the language and the literature of the Chaldeans. And the king appointed for them a daily provision of the king's delicacies and of the wine which he drank and three years of training for them. So that at the end of that time, they might serve before the king. Now from among those of the sons of Judah were Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. To them the chief of the eunuchs gave them names. He gave Daniel the name Belshazzar, to Hananiah Shadrach, and Mishael Meshach, and Azariah Abednego. There's a few things I want to pull out of here, but if you go up a few verses, there's a phrase, an ability to serve in the king's palaces. I want to highlight this because... 
We live in a time where there's more energy around separating ourselves from anyone that doesn't have our faith or value system. And it's actually, it's actually grown in the last five, six, seven, eight years. We put more energy around this idea like I only want to be around people that actually have my value system, my moral, or a similar faith belief. And the challenge with that is here we find Daniel who had the ability to serve in the king's palaces, had the ability to serve the king. So this job that you have, this culture that you're in. Now, I'm okay. I, I love the idea of doing business with Christians, having Christian businesses and Christian circles. I think it's beautiful. And obviously, I believe in that because we're gathering here today. But we can't limit ourselves to that. We can't reduce our faith down to I only do life with people that have the same value system as me. We have to surround ourselves. We have to put ourselves in context because our faith actually does the best in an environment that doesn't embrace it. You see, when Jesus, when you look at the early church, the early church exploded. When the early church took off an ax, it's because there's persecution. The only time the Christian faith begins to wane is when there's no pressure. Did you know that built into DNA of your faith has the ability to thrive when it's being pressured, oppressed, or persecuted? But yet somehow in a Western context, we made Christianity a goal to be safe, to be protected, to stay away from anything that has darkness or evil. And I understand there's wisdom in this. I understand there's layers to this conversation. But I simply want to emphasize this, that the faith that Daniel had, the faith that you and I adhere to does the best when it's in an environment that actually rejects it. It's designed to thrive. It's designed to flourish. It's designed to actually walk out what it means to have faith. Notice there's three years of training there's three years of training of indoctrination to learn how to follow the king, to teach the language and literature. Imagine being involuntary trained to teach a culture and a language and literature, a belief system that violated your own belief system. We don't even have a grid for that. We don't even have a framework for like, what do you do? Like, we're like, no thanks, we're out. But this is an involuntary situation, meaning Daniel didn't have a choice. I hope you see something beautiful and grand in this because what we begin to see is we begin to see that Daniel embraced this reality as this is where God has placed me. And the next thing I want to point out in the passage we just read is their names get changed. Sometimes culture is going to call you something else. I don't know about you, but I have lots of friends that are highly highly aware of what God is saying and doing. We call them prophets and prophetic people. And it's amazing when you put them outside of a Christian circle, they're referred to as psychics. They're referred to as seers. And, and I love when they do that. It's like, don't, don't trip out when you're called something that doesn't match your value system. Just understand that's how they know you. That's how they see you. And, and be slow to correct no, I'm not a psychic. You have any, no, just say, yeah, great. I'm a seer. I can see things. Yep. Learn how to have nuance. 
Just because they call you something, it doesn't mean it's actually what you are. It's just the only way they know how to label you. And we're so bent on keeping everyone black and white and bent on like, get your words right. Get your value system right. And this is where I want to challenge us. Let's worry less about that and recognize, oh, these are opportunities to be within a culture. Okay, let's continue. Verse 8. you guys still with me? Verse 8. But Daniel purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself with the portion of the king's delicacies, nor with the wine which he drank. Therefore, he requested of the chief of the eunuchs that he might not defile himself. Now God had brought Daniel into the favor and goodwill of the chief of the eunuchs. And the chief of the eunuchs said to Daniel, I fear my lord the king who has appointed your food and drink. For why should he see your faces looking worse than the young men who are your age? Then you would endanger my head before the king. The very first thing Daniel does is he purposes in his heart to not defile himself. So for those of you that are concerned about engaging with culture, that we defile ourselves, the first thing that Daniel does, he purposes in his heart to not defile himself. And I would say, at least in my interaction, I understand there's lots of exceptions to this, but I would say most believers that follow Jesus, when they get out, when they get into what we would just call the world or in culture, like, nope, I can't participate in X, Y, and Z. We're really good at making it clear, like what we're not going to participate in. The challenge comes is when you disengage because of a moral standard that you have. So in this story, Daniel said, I'm not eating the king's food. Why? Because it wasn't kosher. As a Jewish man, they weren't allowed to eat certain foods. And that's what was presented to him. He said, I'm not going to eat this food. But I love what what he does. He doesn't disengage. He actually finds a way to stay engaged. So if you want to be engaged in culture, instead of just looking for ways to disengage, find ways to stay engaged. Some of you in jobs right now, you're like, I can't do this anymore. Here's my line. I can't do this. And like, that's your moment to go, here's an opportunity to stay engaged. And in this moment, Daniel said, listen, why don't we do an experiment? Why don't you let me and my three friends eat the food that we want to eat, that we're allowed to eat? And after 10 days, if we don't look better, or you can assess if we don't look better than the other people that are eating the king's food, then we'll figure it out from there. So as the story goes, they eat vegetables for the next 10 days. I still don't know how this happened. Uh, Someone came up to me after the first gathering. I think Daniel had lots of visions and dreams because he didn't have enough protein. I said, you know what? You're onto something there. You're onto something there. So he eats vegetables for 10 days. And at the end of 10 days, he comes before the eunuch. And the eunuch looked at him. And the eunuch says, you are fatter and healthier than the other guys. And the, and the eunuch says, you can keep eating whatever you want to eat. What I want to challenge you, purposing in your heart to not defile yourself is beautiful. In fact, it's actually the easiest part. The part that becomes complex and challenging is when the culture puts up a standard, but you know you're supposed to be in it to stay engaged. And Daniel found a way, he accessed a creative idea to stay engaged, and we find out it actually worked. But what I want you to pay attention to, let's read in verse 15. 
And at the end of 10 days, their features appeared better and fatter in flesh than all the young men who ate the portion of the king's delicacies. Thus the steward took away their portion of the delicacies and the wine that they were to drink and gave them vegetables. And as for these young men, God gave them knowledge and skill in all literature and wisdom, and Daniel had understanding in all visions and dreams. I want you to see the process here. They, defi- they purposed in their hearts not defile themselves. They stayed engaged. In other words, they got access to culture. Then God gave them favor. I want you to notice something. God then gives them favor, and then he elevates their ability to understand literature, their ability to have wisdom, ability to have language of a foreign language. And for Daniel, he received the ability to interpret dreams, which we find out become incredibly instrumental in the years to come. I want to challenge you. Sometimes you might not have what you need to be in a culture, but God will give it to you. I believe wholeheartedly that when you place yourself in a context that doesn't fit your value system, and God has placed you there, he will give you everything necessary to thrive there. And we have to sincerely believe that. Oftentimes we want to be prepared before we step in. God says, step in, and then I'll give it to you. Okay, I'm going to do a few more things, then we're going to wrap this up. Let's go to verse 18. We're going to read the last few verses. Now at the end of the days, when the king has said that they should be brought in, the chief of the eunuchs brought them in before Nebuchadnezzar. Then the king interviewed them, and among them all, none was found like Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Therefore they served before the king, and in all matters of wisdom and understanding about which the king examined them. He found them ten times better. Say that with me. Ten times better than all the magicians, all the astrologers who were in all his realm. Thus Daniel continued until the first year of the king of Cyrus. I recognize some of you don't feel the pull to be a Daniel. Some of you are like, I just, I just can't see myself in this kind of context. And, and I understand that, and I respect that. That's where you're at, and I definitely am not wanting to manipulate you into this. But if you don't feel this pull, I know there are people in this room that this resonates with you. You're like, this is why I'm alive. And what I dream is that this community, we have space in our hearts, we have space in our minds, and we have space in our theology for Daniel to exist. What I have seen over the decades of my existence, I have seen the church raise up Daniel, but the moment they served Nebuchadnezzar, we cut them off. We've left them high and dry. It's like we send someone out to battle and then we retreat. And to be honest with you, a lot of them are not serving God anymore. So I want to challenge you. If you don't feel like you have the essence of what it means to be a Daniel, then create space in your heart, in your mind, in your life for people that actually feel that this resonates with them. There are people in this room, I won't even point you out, that you are clearly Daniels. And if you were to actually talk about the world that you live in, other people in this room would have a deep, hard time with why you're in that space. So I want this to be a community of people where Daniel and Joseph are allowed to exist in culture. They're not going to fit in the mold of a Sunday morning context. 
They're not going to fit in just the mold of a home group structure. They just don't fit the way we want them to fit. And that's okay. They actually need people that do life with them and give them tons of grace and protection. There are people I meet with frequently, and they're Daniels and Josephs. I have a dear friend of mine who's become a friend for about the last decade. He works for a really dark company. I'm going to leave it vague on purpose. Very dark. Yeah, I'm going to leave it there. And he's the CEO of this company. And he was talking to me. He's, he's, at the time, this was about six years ago, he said, I've tripled the value of this company in like four or five years. Well, that's amazing. And he said, yeah, now I'm getting, trying to get, people are trying to poach me to go be CEO of their company, and they're willing to pay me a lot more money than the company I'm working in right now. This is an international uh, company. And he said, but I can't go. Because if I go, no one will be light in this place. No one will actually be like, if I leave, this place will be completely ran by darkness. But because I'm here, there's at least light. You see, Daniels look at the world differently. They recognize God's view on humanity is he genuinely, deeply cares for humanity. When we've written them off, God hasn't. So as we go into the future together, I want to challenge you that we need to create space in our hearts, and our mind, in our theology, in our lives for Daniel to exist. So why don't you stand? Thanks for listening to today's talk. If you're interested in learning more about Studio here in Greenville, you can go check out our website, studiogreenville.com. And you can give us a follow on Instagram. Our handle is studio.greenville. Have a great week.